0: Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mays. On today's episode, we're discussing House Proud by Astolat, House of Many Ways by Diana Wynne-Jones, and The Velt by Ray Bradbury.
1: And welcome to episode 36, There's No Place Like Home.
2: I'm Alex Rossi bevel my family's ancestral home in Wales. I'm Freya, and today I'll be Whittick Manor, which is a beautifully decorated manor house in England.
0: Hello, I'm Macy, and I will be played this week by Bletchley Park, which is a cool computer science-y manor place in England. Oh that is neat. Enigma. And where are you? Enigma yeah, place. <laughs> yes.
2: Enigma. We are 3 redheaded fantasy authors.
1: And today we're talking about uh, magical houses, sort of continuing our theme of setting his character. It should be a lot of fun. We have some interesting rants <laughs> scheduled for you, dear listeners. Just
0: <laughs> is my one or two. Or
1: three. One or two. One or two. Yeah. Uh, but before we get into all that, what are we reading, fellow serpents? I
2: have had a dip in my reading recently because I was finishing revisions, but my revisions are... Done. Hopefully Mm. I will not have to touch that book again if or until somebody buys it. But in the interim, my brain has been kind of rejecting fantasy a little bit, so I've been doing a bit of romance reading. I read The New K J Charles Proper English, Mm. which is a wonderful FF murder mystery at a manor house it's delightful. The person who dies is the most unpleasant person. So you don't even feel sad. There's none of this like <laughs> nice. murder angst. You're just like, oh, well, the terrible person's dead. Now there will be hijinks and also lesbians. It's it's very good in the, the full K.J. Charles tradition. And I also read the third book in Alyssa Coles' Reluctant Royals series, which is called A Prince on Paper. And it has mm. like fake engagement and a whole lot of other delightful tropes. Nice.
0: I meanwhile have spent the entire last two weeks in like various modes of transportation that bopping mm. around England and uh, seeing my parents and all of this. And also editing. I'm so glad that you're back on a sensible time zone. Listen, <laughs> listen. <laughs> I missed you, that's all. Oh, that's
2: cute. But also, England is a sensible time zone. It really isn't. It no. is the least <laughs> sensible time wow. zone. Because when I wake up, everyone in England is about to go to sleep. And then they all pop online just as I'm going to bed. Yeah. Oh. It is a useless time zone. Yeah. Well,
0: yeah. fine. That's me put in my place. <laughs> Uh, for the second time today. Uh, listeners, they've already called me a Teletubby before we even started recording this morning. So it's going great. Everything's going great. We it's fine. You. I have been reading some books. Mostly I've been editing my own book. Um very, very nearly done with that. But I've been reading also this really cool history book. Uh, called Sicily, An Island at the Crossroads of History Ooh. by John Julius Norwich. And it is a swift romp through 2,500 years of the history of a single island. Wonderful. It's full of stabby boys. Um, I've also been reading all of Astolat's back catalogue because I've been on a plane a lot. Yeah. And that's kind of how planes work. Yeah. And also for some bizarre reason, listening to everything Fallout Boy has
2: ever written musically... I don't Sometimes understand that Sometimes you one. go through a phase where you just need to listen to some Fallout Boy. That's it's normal. true.
0: Yeah. Dr. Freya just... says it's normal. <laughs> Dr. Freya says it's fine. <laughs> All right. Alex, what have you been up to?
1: I have been running the entire uh, spectrum of literary merit, my dears. Um, <laughs> I found a book of Pablo Neruda poems for like three dollars uh yes that's very like literary very literary merit indeed yes wow such merit very book such merit very book uh it has like 600 of his poems in in one (gasps) book yeah it's it's thick it's chonky uh i've also uh played quite a lot of dragon age inquisition thanks to uh my dear friend Recca who lent me her ps4 thank you Recca. uh i have read a I'm about halfway through a non-fiction book as well. Mine is also a history book. It is called Salt, A World History by Mark Kurlansky. It's delightful. I need to read that one. I've seen it and it looks amazing. It's quite good. It's quite good. I've been sitting here like taking frantic notes to uh, <laughs> fix some of my world building stuff. And also today I spent several hours reading Vorkosigan memes on <laughs> Tumblr.
0: <laughs> let, let me gently correct that for our darling listeners. Alex spent several hours reblogging. Vorkosigan memes and so I also spent less time I feel like Alex like carefully curated the best possible experience for me. Yes
1: yes I reblogged <laughs> the solid gold ones which there are many many solid gold Vorkosigan memes as it turns out. I did not know that this fandom was so fruitful in terms of its posting. but there we are
0: <laughs> I feel like this is a good tribute because I bet you anything Miles would be great at posting.
1: Oh undoubtedly but let's oh wait we have another piece of moot news, uh, because I was about to move us straight on to the episode. Um, Real quick, before we do that, then, dear listeners, you have about three weeks to give us your questions for the episode 40 extravaganza. We usually announce it on the 7 rather than on the 6, as we are today, Uh, but we're super far ahead uh, due to some travel and schedules and cons and so forth. Uh, So we will be recording episode 40 on the evening of June 28th. So you have about three weeks from when this episode goes up. So please get your questions in and uh, you can send them to us on serpentcast at gmail.com or on Twitter or on Tumblr or on Patreon. There's or on a the br- Discord. Actually, don't send them to us on the Discord <laughs> because we're very likely to overlook them. A lot, of, a lot of chatter happens on the Discord. So just do me a favor as the curator <laughs> of the episode 40 questions. Um anywhere Please but the discord, the
0: discord friends. do not I- send them
1: on the discord if you send them to me on the discord i will not put them in the episode
0: if you send them to me on the discord and tag me in them i will email them to our gmail account so that alex doesn't have an aneurysm if you that want,
2: seems unnecessarily convoluted it does
1: i leave it in your hands if you want to make your life that complicated macy god bless let's have a fucking episode <laughs> yes So, uh, as I mentioned, we've kind of had a whole theme going recently of setting his character and we have some wonderful uh, tent poles to talk about today. Shall we jump right into them?
0: Yes, let's, if I can stop giggling long enough to to wipe my eyes and do my job. Of course, Um, do your job, (laughs) Mason. (laughs) It's challenging, it's challenging. I'm going to have some sip of my tea first. So, the first of our three tent poles this week is House of Many Ways by Diana Wynne-Jones, which... (gasps) previously been established on this podcast I am the recalcitrant one I am the one who hasn't really read as many Diana Wynne Jones as you two Mm, yeah I think that's fair to say I think I listened to most of them as a kid on tape cassette and then I never remember things that I've listened to
1: Mm.
0: Uh, so I don't think that I'd read this one before but this is a delightful book about what happens when a kind of Sheltered, slightly spoilt young lady named Charmaine, who just wants to be left alone to read, accidentally Mood. agrees to look after a mysterious house.
2: Yes, it, it's kind of like a middle grade gothic, which I really appreciate.
0: Yeah. Nothing all that bad happens. There are like a few scary creatures and someone has to climb on a roof a couple of times and nearly falls off. And there's a weird castle that's very good at getting down alleyways that castles really shouldn't fit down. I don't know, there's the there's the Lubbock's though. Yeah, the Lubbock's are the weird creature things. I think that she like runs away from it at the beginning and then she is never in danger from it anymore.
2: But there's still a sense of creeping menace, I would say, from the Lubbock and the whole Lubbockian thing
1: and it's pretty dark when you think about it because like she finds that book which says oh yeah if you come across the Lubbock it will like implant its eggs in you and then the <laughs> eggs will like burst out of you like in that one movie and you will so, die so, so that's just like homestuck standard then
0: yeah I mean sure yeah, yeah. I think you're you gotta understand um, that my, my <laughs> calibration for creepy in middle grade is Francis Harding
2: I would say that this one is the, one of Diana Wynne Jones's few that does approach Frances Harding levels of creepy but mm, because Diana Wynne Jones's overall tone is so much more chirpy Mm -hmm. you kind of don't notice
0: yeah yes that's fair but i think the important thing that we should be talking about here though is the house is the (laughs) The house house. of many ways which is the title but also is the name of the house and how much fun it is frankly for us to kind of experience the unfolding of this house together with Charmaine. Mm. She arrives and it's this pokey little cottage, right? It's like there's a front room with her ill great, great, great uncle in it. And he's like, I'm very sick and elves are taking me away now. Goodbye. And then (laughs) she finds there's a very dirty kitchen and there's laundry everywhere. And when you go through the door, sometimes you end up somewhere else.
2: Yeah, it takes her a little while to work that out, that there's a couple of things that mean she can navigate. And one of them is that if she asks a question... Then her great uncle's voice, he like left a charm that will answer direct questions of how do I get from here to the laundry? How do I get from here to the bedroom? And he'll be like, okay, well, turn into the doorway, turn around one and a half times, go left. Okay, Google,
0: how do I get to the bathroom?
2: Yep. Exactly. (laughs) Yes, he has left her (laughs) magical Google Maps. Yes. Which sometimes works well and sometimes does not. He
0: also left her an actual magical map. Well, an actual non-magical map. Not non-magical map, yeah.
2: Non magical, but very complicated.
0: Maps. Who wanted to talk about maps?
2: I didn't I put in I put in a doc point about maps because I was amused by this idea of whether a map to describe a magical space needs to be magical in and of itself. Mm. Because obviously the Marauders map in Mary Potter. In Mary Potter. in Mary, Harry, Cop- yes, Mary Mar- Potter. Potter. <laughs> Mappy Potter. <laughs> in Harry Potter um, is shown as a two-dimensional map where all of the magic is the charm of it. Mm-hmm. But if you think about what Hogwarts actually is, like there's so many different layers and passageways and like you can't actually represent it as a two-dimensional space. Can't which I think charm-try? the movies and also the books just kind of glide over. Like yeah. it doesn't there isn't really a sense that the map itself changes. It's just that you can see where people are. And a friend of mine actually tried to make a Marauders map, just the the map itself of Hogwarts quite some time ago, and soon realized that it would have to be one of these enormous things that folds out and folds Mm -hmm. out and folds in, in order to represent that kind of, even just a normal castle that has so many layers, you can't do it. There has to be something, either something magical or something very enormous and inconvenient about the map.
0: Yeah, I think it's enormous and inconvenient is a good summary of most magical houses, Uh, but I just wanted to nerd out for a little bit about geometry. Okay.
2: <laughs> Go for it, Macy.
0: Non-Euclidean spaces are seriously cool. It's like when you have it, the TARDIS, right? Yes. It's The TARDIS is a magical house. Um, there's more <laughs> yes, in it it than out of it. Isn't yeah. it? Yeah.
2: Yeah, totally no, yeah. is.
0: It's like the one true union of a spaceship and a magical house. It's right.
2: the equivalent of those tents in Harry Potter. Right. But um
0: the House of Many Ways is exceedingly non-Euclidean. And Euclidean here just meaning um you can't map it on a flat surface, right, basically. And it's super cool the way that these houses behave like the one coat from Victoria Schwab's series. Oh, yes. Right? You can turn it inside out and upside down and shake it and you won't get back to where you started from. Like you, Equal actions do not have equal and opposite reactions, mm. which is something that magic in general in fiction does, is it undermines physics, but we rarely confront it in such a like a visceral, touchable, physical way, as when you have a door that is a different door if you go through it in one direction, or or if you go through it with your like hopping on your left foot, suddenly mm. it's different.
2: That's like tangibly weird and cool, and I, I love that. And this particular series by Diana Wynne Jones, like this this book is actually the third in the HAL series. So it comes as a sequel to Hal's Moving Castle and then Castle in the Air is the second one. And all of them are about weird things to do with space and travel. Mm. And so you have the the moving castle itself, which is slightly different to the house of many ways, because the moving castle is a habitat that can inhabit more than one physical space at the same time, but those <laughs> spaces have to exist. So when they are moving house in the moving castle, they have to attach it to an anchored space. Like they buy a shop and they make, okay, one of the places that the castle now exists is the shop. And another place it exists is a house in Porthaven. and another place it exists is the castle itself right um, and where you are depends on what color the knob is when you go out the door and then you can also do it make it go across universes because they go and visit Hal's family in Wales. but <laughs> the house in many ways is slightly different in that all of the space that it inhabits belongs to the house itself. You can use it to travel to like the right. like she goes through it to the, the castle. Um, to visit the king.
0: Yes, yeah, she goes to the but royal palace. She goes to the royal
2: palace v- through it. But,
0: but it has like time magic, right?
2: Yeah, there's time magic. Parts of it exist in different times to others. So it takes the whole, the basic idea behind Howl's Moving Castle and then just expands it horribly in many, many directions and dimensions. But it gave me
0: like, borrowing chores from tomorrow or from last year was the most delightful idea. And there's this just running through line about these two hapless teenagers who keep getting dumped with bags of laundry and they're like, where are they coming from? mysterious laundry and the house has just decided that they are the ones who have to do all the laundry badly they do really really badly
2: Uh, yeah the scenes where these two two like fairly spoiled young people attempt to look after a house where they've never (laughs) had to do a chore in their life it's really quite delightful
1: I was really very charmed by the fact that it's the boy teenager who has like like, the sort of basic (laughs) general understanding of things he's like oh yeah <laughs> yes. Laundry. I know the general theme, the general principles of laundry um, yes. and how to wash dishes.
0: Like he, he's the one who teaches he puts, her how to wash dishes. He puts all of the food in a pot and boils it. A bless his heart. Like that, in with the onions, in with the chicken breasts, in with the apples.
1: Bless his heart. He doesn't actually know what he's doing, but he tries. But he's
2: trying really hard. The world building around what the house will and won't do for them was really quite charming because you have this wish fulfillment fantasy where you can tap the fireplace and say, afternoon tea, and it gives you a tray with little cakes and crumpets and things. But then when it's dinner time, it literally just gives you a heap of raw shit and a pot. (laughs) (laughs) So they keep just having afternoon tea for dinner because it's the only thing they can make it produce. I love
0: this house so much. But this leads me to, I think, um, if we're talking about like, looking after houses and respecting houses, I think this leads us to our next tentpole. Oh, my gosh. We're so excited about this one. This is so good. Uh,
1: we are once again back on our bullshit again, dear listeners. I bet you our
0: listeners can, adv- can guess who the next tentpoles buy.
1: Oh, yeah, I bet you totally can. Uh, you've already guessed by now, dear listeners. We've given you enough of a, a break to, <laughs> to uh, make your shouting in public uh, about the name of this fanfiction author. <laughs> it's another Astolat fanfic. Yes, it is. Uh, it is House Proud, which is one of her uh, Harry Potter fanfics. And this one is about Harry's relationship with Grimald Place, the house that he inherits from Sirius Black. And uh, it is post canon and there are some negotiations happening and they need a neutral place to host these negotiations and they don't want to do it at Hogwarts because Hogwarts has seen like too much drama and too much shit too, too much old shit, for this shit too old for the shit no uh they don't want to do it at the ministry uh so someone asks Harry can you host this at, at your house at Grimwald Place And the house is really run down and dirty, just as it was when we saw it in uh, Order of the Phoenix. And uh, Draco Malfoy is one of the contingent of people who is here for the negotiations. And he walks in and he is horrified. He is horrified. (laughs) He is mad about this. Like he promptly starts talking to the house. And the house starts treating him much more nicely than it treats Harry. And (laughs) Harry's mad about this and resents it. And because how does Draco Malfoy once again get something that Harry doesn't get?
0: The love of this the house. The love of
1: this house, right. The house eventually, like, eventually uh, Draco comes back to help with something. I forget what it was. It was a couple of days since I read this. So
0: it was another, like, negotiation. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't, the fic doesn't care and you don't care. You either. don't care. Um,
1: point is, they get trapped inside the house because the house doesn't yes. want to let Draco leave because Draco is yeah. the only one treating this house nicely. Uh yep. oh also Harry has a a party
0: at one point
1: and it's very it's like sad. like a really
0: shitty like college party with like bags of crisps. Yeah. Yeah. And like party streamers and the house is not not here for that. Not here for and that the guests at all. And insult the house and call it like dreary and bad
1: and the house's feelings are hurt. Yep. Uh so the the main
0: fl- <laughs> It's a very different house to the house of many ways. It has
1: a lot of feelings and it <laughs> just wants to be loved. And Draco Malfoy is the only one who can love it properly, (laughs) at least until Harry (laughs) learns how to take care of his, you know, real estate. Yeah, so this is a fantastic fic. It's about relationships, the relationship. uh, It's about the hero Scalmos, honestly. Um, Mm. It is. But Mm. before we get into that, I want to give someone else a chance to speak. Freya, tell us about this dot point you
2: put here. Well, I was very, very happy that we are going to feature this story. And I think I was the one who like shoved it into the into the document and or else built the entire episode around it despite mm. the fact that we have so recently been asked to <laughs> bullshitting because this is probably one of my favorite fanfics of all time. The first time I read it, it essentially broke my brain open with how perfect it was in terms of what it was examining and the dynamics that it was doing yeah. and certain thematic things just kind of fell into place
0: and have mm. now been
2: being explored in my own writing ever since and I just, I love everything about it. It's got some really Incredibly fun world building, but also some very creepy things. Like, I love that sort of side, like, I think Hermione makes a sideways line about, oh, you know, you don't, you don't know what happens when magical houses go bad. There was like a skiing chalet in the Swiss Alps that just disappeared and took an entire family with it. And like, there's <laughs> just so much potential for weird, creepy shit. Yes. When you have these houses that go bad because they are treated badly
0: but the thing that i loved the most in this one and this is the type of there's almost a genre of harry potter fic that i think of as like extra canon where people will look at the world building of harry potter and go it's a little bit thin yeah it's a little bit thin let's just put some more stuff here um and the the particular note that astolat does that on here is the the fair folk. Oh right? my she God! Brings yes. Brings back the fair folk, and she says, um, "This is what pure blood comes from. This is where the rituals and sacrifices and formalities come from. It's this knife edge beauty of being something really wild and untamable, and trying to control that and fit in with society. And so these magical houses are kind of the last remnant of Underhill. Yes, yes." My God, that was and so And I really love that. And this is uh, a story in large part about Harry awakening his own eldritch part and kind of transforming himself, even as he transforms the house and awakens the house to what it could be.
2: And it's about him coming to terms with his history, because you know mm-hmm. you think of Harry as because we see him only through his point of view, he's very sympathetic to people like the Weasleys and to people like Hermione. And, you know, pure blood is this thing. He's like, well, these are just these snobs who, you know, they just don't like anybody else. And you don't think about the fact that Harry is a pure blood and that he comes from these long lines of wizarding history. And this, this story really digs in and says, well, let's have a look at that. And the fact that he has a certain amount of, necessarily shame, but significant ambivalence about the the history that he himself comes from.
0: I would say heritage almost more than history. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. his,
2: his, his heritage. And it makes him turn around and actually see, you know, are there parts of this that you can delight in and find wonderful right. in the same way that he found the wizarding world wonderful when he first discovered it
1: Yes, and it also has that very gothic note of the wonder in the dreadful yes yes and something yes.
2: and something dark and mysterious haunting the corridors yes yes
0: <laughs> which they never bothered to resolve which There's i love a monster in this fic and it just complete vanishes.
2: throwaway horror And it's very effective horror writing. Oh, yes. No explanation whatsoever for what it is, which is fine. You just get the sense it's a distillation of the house's anger.
0: Yes, and that's Mm -hmm. fine, and that's all you need. But I know that I really loved some of the lavish home improvement scene oh my yes. god yes <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: basically like watching like home improvement live television except but magic downton abbey version and yes. magical
0: yeah yep. and like spinning the curtains from like raw silk
1: oh. oh yeah like unraveling the old curtains and then like bleaching and dyeing the
0: threads and then weaving them anew it's one of the seven blessings of a house to have a spinner <laughs> Or was it to, to have, have a weaver? A to weaver. have a weaver, weaver. yes.
2: Yeah. And I like that for all that this whole idea of magical houses are kind of effort saving. Like if your magical house mm-hmm. is working properly, then it will be, it will keep itself clean. You know, the house elf will do the cooking. You don't have to expend a lot of energy, but it says that if you let things slide, the mm. amount of energy that you personally have to expend to get that back, get that relationship oh, yeah. back is enormous. Yeah. It's, you know, he has to completely strip clean on his hands and knees, do it, you know, using oh, yeah. elbow grease. They have to unwind things, redo things, and it's this horrible back-breaking work because you're showing that you care, and only by putting in that cost will you actually get back the reward of a house that does that works for well, itself.
0: Well, it's, it's the fairy deal, right? You have yeah. to bleed. Yeah. Yes,
1: yes. You have and to it's... bleed
0: for Underhill or you haven't earned it.
1: And it's physical labor as well as emotional labor because right. it's like the the effort of caring that much, caring enough to like fix all the the uncaring that you did before.
2: I like that. There's a whole uh, there's a whole part where Draco talks about how the amount of effort that he had to put in to get the manor back because mm-hmm. of what he and his family had allowed to happen in that manner.
1: Yes. Yeah god so good so good but seriously seriously heroes gamos because like it's played straight it absolutely is because harry and draco's relationship is rocky and hostile Well, first of all actually i should redefine heroes gamos if we have some new listeners or it has been a while so heroes gamos is a what I st- still strongly disagree that it is. No, I agree with Alex here. I, this is this is absolutely being played straight. Okay, let me let me define it. So hieros gamos means sacred marriage and it's this theme in mythology studies which says that the relationship between the king and the queen is reflected in the relationship between the king and the land. So if the king and the queen have a relationship that is harmonious and prosperous and fruitful, then the relationship then the land itself will will prosper and flourish. So Harry and, re- Harry and Draco's relationship is rocky and hostile at the same time that Harry's relationship with the house is rocky and hostile. And by Harry repairing his relationship with the house, he also opens up a path to have a relationship with Draco as well.
2: Yes. And the so- reason you can tell that this is being played that way is because there is a line where he is describing his house and how it's creepy but beautiful and snobbish and he loves it. And you realize he is talking about Draco. And he realizes he is talking about Draco and the parallel is made completely clear. Nope.
0: Nope. Still disagree. Why do you disagree? Still disagree. You can can parallel and echo themes in a story without it being Heros Gamos to start with. Like, they're definitely this story is doing a thing where the development of the relationship is narratively paralleled, but these relationships are not metaphors for one another. They are their own individual separate things. And there isn't a kingdom right like the thing is that it trades back and forth between it um it would be as if like you healing the tax burdens of your populace makes the queen fuck
2: you more often like it, it goes in both directions in this fic it does go in both it's, directions but i think that emphasizes the fact that they are metaphors for one another
0: they, they but that's not heroes gamos is about rulership as well right it's not just about um, relationships. But there's
1: also the line about being the master of your own house.
2: Yeah, and, and his relationship with the house-elf. Like, it's about exerting authority, which he is reluctant to do. Yeah. It's about him becoming a good king of his little kingdom.
0: I mean, I think little kingdom is exactly the point where I, I break from this ever-being heroes gamas for, for me, the, the context of a house is not the scale of a kingdom, right? It's far more intimate, and it's... It doesn't need the metaphor to intercede in the same way that an entire kingdom, you can't represent that on the page in the same way that you can a relationship, but you can represent the whole relationship of someone with their house. It's it's not big enough to need it. I still think it's Heroes Gamos. I, I strongly disagree. You can't just call everything <laughs> Heroes Gamos, okay? I can and I will. Watch me. <laughs> uh-huh. Anyway, we have a third tentpole, friendos. Who's we doing do. this
2: one? So speaking of houses that can go super creepy, yes, our third tentpole this week is a short story by Ray Bradbury, and I'm really excited that I finally managed to drag some Bradbury into this podcast, Ah, because I love Ray Bradbury, Uh and I love his short stories in particular. And this is one that I read a long, long time ago. I think it's in the collection The Illustrated Man, which was one of the earliest Bradburys that I read, and it really, really stuck with me. This is a story called The Velt, and it's essentially a science fiction story about a murderous smart house. <laughs> so the basis yes. of this story <laughs> is that it is about a family, a mum, a dad, and two children who live in a future smart house, essentially. So the mm. house does everything for them. It does the cooking, it does the cleaning, and also it acts as nursemaid and amuses the children uh, uh-huh. by providing them with a playroom that is some kind of very advanced virtual reality. And the whole idea of it is that the house responds to what you want. So it produces the things that you want. um, And the playroom is meant to respond to the kind of creative play that you feel like. So the dad has these fond memories of the kind of playrooms that it would produce for him that would reflect whatever he'd been reading about. Mm -hmm. And the parents start to become concerned that the playroom seems to be stuck on this African veldt that they can just feel the heat of the sun and there's just grass off in every direction and there are some lions eating something in the distance and occasionally they hear screams. And it's about (laughs) what happens when they attempt to turn off the house because they decide that they've become too reliant on it and they're a bit uneasy that the children don't want to do anything except go into the playroom and the house is not happy about this and the children are not happy about this and from there it just turns into a quiet and quite civilized horror story Mm -hmm. (laughs) what did you think of this story
0: i think that horror story is definitely the right phrase for it it reminded me a lot of like a possession story right yeah it feels like the house is possessed if not precisely haunted because it doesn't doesn't really come across as having a consciousness it feels more like it's driven by the children to me At least that was how I read this. Um, It's really about what the children want.
2: Yeah, and one of the things that's very interesting about this story is that the children are called Peter and Wendy, uh, which is an obvious Peter Pan reference, and the dad is called George, which is also a Peter Pan reference. And it is a story about, yes, the viciousness of children, which is what Mm. Peter Pan is about, Um, and how if children are not forced to grow up, if they are sort of left alone with their imaginations, they will produce the Neverland, which is a dark children fantasy driven story. The whole idea Mm. of the Neverland in Peter Pan is that it changes depending on the people who are in it and everybody who is in it has their own version of the Neverland. Mm. So everybody's map is a bit different and the adventures that they have are different. And that's what the playroom is. The playroom is the Neverland Mm -hmm. and it's about the darkness of children. And it's also about this anxiety of caretaking and the responsibility we have to our children, which is what Peter Pan is an Edwardian story and it shows this, child-rearing anxiety because mm-hmm. um, in the book it's about Nana, the, the nurse, is a dog and <laughs> Mr. Darling has all these worries about, are we quite sure that a dog is the best thing to be rearing our children? But if <laughs> they're like, well, she takes such good care of them and she makes sure she has, that they have their medicine and it's played completely straight, there's just this underlying slight worry that the <laughs> neighbours might be talking about them <laughs> because they have a, a dog as a nursemaid and in this book it's the house that is the nursemaid and it's a bit more uh eerie and vindictive mm-hmm. but it's got the same themes and i i love peter pan i love comparing things to peter pan and i think that that's one of the most interesting things about this which is also about how your smart home wants to kill you
0: yes Alex, did you have any
1: thoughts on this one? My my thought was that the children were extremely creepy. Yes. Both of you have siblings. Both of you, I believe, have younger sisters. Have you ever once in your life held hands with your younger sister? Possibly yes, when but like crossing, crossing a road. Yeah, sure, exactly. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like, don't run off. I rescued mine from a pond once when I was four. I rescued mine from the sea once when... I was about four. (laughs) (laughs) Darling listeners, please don't ask how they ended up in the water in the first place. I grew up on a sailboat. Yeah, that's fair, that's fair. <laughs> My parents just wandered off and left us in a park full of ponds. Sisters, <laughs> Fine. man. Fine, with the 2 point year is,
1: Point but... is, like, you don't really hold hands with your no. sibling unless you absolutely have to. And, like, these two children walk in and they're holding hands. And I'm immediately like, why are you doing that? Like, why are you voluntarily having <laughs> yeah. physical contact yeah, with your younger sibling? because they are sibling? horror
2: movie children. Horror yes. movie
0: children, exactly. Were they meant to be
1: twins? I don't I'm not think sure. so. I'm not sure. It was sure. kind of
0: implied they were born at the same time. I thought. It's possible.
1: I'm more okay with twins holding hands because then you have, like, that creepy twin connection.
2: I mean, it it did give the story that kind of changeling vibe as well, that, like, we used to recognize our children and now we do not. And some kind of magical force has turned them into something that is evil and unrecognizable.
0: They were weirdly more, like, knowing than their parents. Peter in particular clearly was in charge of that household while i was reading the story i had a brief theory that they had been somehow
1: possessed by the consciousness of the house itself but then it turned out i think that it went the other way
2: yeah yeah it's not quite it's never quite clear like they get this sense that the house was designed to respond to what you want but something might have gone wrong like the house itself could have started to develop its own Sentience,
0: yeah, and get into like a feedback loop. Yeah, it yeah. also felt a little bit. You know which sibling this reminded me of. Um, what was the oldest brother of Ender Wiggins? Was he, he was Peter, Peter as well? As well. Yeah. yeah, it reminded me of him. Um, because I don't know if you guys have read or if our listeners have read uh, Ender's Game, which a while um, ago. Yeah, yeah while ago. it's it's a really interesting classic of sci-fi YA. But the sibling Peter is psychotic in the like running into the woods and torturing squirrels sense Mm -hmm. of the word and also exceptionally smart all of the Wiggins children are and that's kind of the feeling that I got here is that this child knows too many things and would quite like to know some more and wouldn't mind if he finds them out in Mm.
2: violent ways. But it's also about it's got that parental tech anxiety you've got this very very smart child and then you have this unlimitedly powerful technology that is giving him whatever he wants. He's able to search the internet without parental lock, essentially.
0: But if I may quote Arthur Weasley and like my entire tech uh, career, which is if you don't know where it keeps its brain. Is that Arthur Weasley? finish that sentence? Yeah, don't never trust anything that that you. If you don't know where it keeps its brain. They tell Ginny Weasley this after the incident with the diary. Yes, yes. um But yeah. Don't don't get a smart home, people. You don't understand how little we understand what we're doing. Yeah, no. Don't no, don't y- do no, it. No. Shall we have the paranoid rant right here? Sure. You want to kick it off, and then I can tell you which bits are probably scientifically accurate. Okay, sure. That sounds like a good and entertaining time. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: I am super paranoid of smart homes, and I will never have a smart home because they freak me out, and because I was raised by a man. Who ran Linux? And I feel like we can probably just leave it there. Uh, Uh No, not really. No, but like I would be super paranoid of being surveilled either by the tech company that is sponsoring the smart home, whatever, like whether it's Google with Alexa or Apple with Siri. And also the idea that everything I do. And all of my living practices could either be hacked by an outsider or sold to the government. I'm not cool with any of these things. Just, uh, no, there's to like be perfectly kind
0: of... clear, um, those things are already happening to you. Just to just to clarify, like not having a smartphone the isn't going to save you from that. That's already well, happened. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yes, that's very true. But yeah, I don't but need to not lean into it. Shower or cook. I don't <laughs> um, need to lean um, they into. They are it. watching you cook. Because they know what recipes you googled and they know what ingredients you bought. Fuck. Shit. Let's just all go live in the woods. <sighs> I mean, basically, like, if you don't want the government or, like, big corp tech to know what you're doing, um, do everything analog, literally don't write emails. Yeah, I mean, it's like, too late. Phone like, phone calls, it's too but late. then, like, those are probably recorded as well. So, like, you have to just, like encryptedly arrange to meet in person You're uh, more paranoid somewhere. Than I am. <laughs> yeah turn off your like take the battery out of your phone let's be yeah. specific here yeah um like it, it's just not going to happen and the thing for me with smart homes is um the lack of fallbacks really worries me right mm-hmm. um what what do you do if your fire detector loses its internet connection um what does it do is it able to detect fires anymore right like that the reliability stuff is what worries me because that's what I work on and what I know. But we also still have a lot more bullet points to get through. Good gosh. Um, Good gosh, yes. <laughs> shall, shall we shall we do a speed run? <laughs> yes,
1: let's do it. First of all, taxonomies. It's been a while since we talked about taxonomies. Pro- pro- probably like two weeks since we talked about taxonomy, <laughs> honestly. Um, is there a taxonomy of magical houses? Because I had an idea mm-hmm. when I What's was that? reading them. Um, so... At first, when I was reading the first couple tentpoles, I was thinking to myself, is there a difference between magical houses and a living ship other than the fact that one of them happens in fantasy and one of them happens in sci-fi? And I was like, mm, I don't think that there is. I think that they're basically the same. And then I read another tentpole and immediately started disagreeing with myself <laughs> um, because living ships generally have some kind of direct communication available to their passengers, mm-hmm. uh, i.e. Moya can communicate through pilot uh, on Farscape and in the team master and the detective, uh, the ship can communicate directly mm-hmm. with uh, the detective. I forget her name. But the houses generally, if they communicate, it's by feelings and by making their their emotions known somehow Mm. if they communicate at all which not all of them do because not all of them are sentient
0: i mean i think that for me a useful taxonomy of magical houses is built around the things that they can do and i think that the last point you made is a really great one Um, are they sentient or not right right and if they are sentient can they communicate or not for example the tardis cannot yes mostly yes uh, other than the one time that Neil Gaiman gave us the TARDIS as a woman in a magnificent ripped up ball gown, which,
1: ah, that was a good episode. At best, the TARDIS can sort of signal that there is some distress happening. Right. But it's like in the same way that
0: Harry's house, yeah. house would. Right. Correct. Um, and so for yes. me, um, that one is like, there's almost like a multidimensional like um, checklist of what does your house do for you? Does your house travel? Does right. your house caretake? Uh, does your house manipulate your social life for you? <laughs> I love meddling houses. Okay, like the house in House Proud Grimold Place is so stoked to help Harry go um go courting, go off and propose to Draco that it like helps him prepare
2: a formal offering, and it's just like yes, go get him, go get him, <laughs> go get him, bring him I- back. <laughs> bring I- him I- I- back. Actually, actually, what you said about the like the direct communication versus indirect. You get this sense in House Proud that the house possibly could be more direct in how it communicated but it is very much above yes. the kind of direct thing like writing clean your fucking fridge in blood on the walls <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> even though that's really what it's trying to say oh. it's just going to do it it's just because it is a pure blood old house and it has been brought up well it's going yes. to do it subtly by it's leaving passive aggressive about it because this is a guest culture it's a it's yes. very guest culture
0: <laughs> very british uh, whereas then you have the house of many ways which is really not sentient or intentional no it's in a just a way. bunch of stacked spells which is um there was another short story that i proposed as a tentpole when we ran out of time to read it as well which is in beneath ceaseless skies it's called the popinjay's daughter and it's about another house that works on all of these separate doors but it it's really cool because you can only pass in and out of the house through the exact same door that you came in on in the exact same state. So it almost has like a knowledge and an intention about it. Um, Whereas like it has, it will not let you do certain things. The house of many ways, you can do whatever the heck you want. You can dye all
2: the laundry pink, go right ahead. And it's, it's very much explicitly an ask culture, because literally yes. all you have to do is stand there and say, how do I get to the laundry? Oh, And the spell will answer you.
0: Is because the mag- having a magical uncle helps.
2: Yes, yes. You get the sense that the house of many ways itself would not even be it communicating in any way, that but the uncle has spent so many years working out its secrets and mm-hmm. essentially imbuing it with a way of helping yourself around it if you're entirely new. It's true. It's right. not. It's not a particularly helpful house itself. It just has a helpful spell.
0: Yes, but I think that um, talking about the Velt as a haunted house. Do we want to talk about haunted houses for a I little bit as magical should. houses? I think yes. we absolutely should.
2: Yes, I think that when I was reading through the Temples, I was thinking more and more like, you know, to the, what extent are these haunted houses, and to what mm. extent are haunted houses magical houses, because. The horror bits in House Proud reminded me of um, The Haunting of Hill House, the Shirley Jackson hmm. like classic um, haunted house horror book, which is, yeah, it's about a house that has gone bad because of that. things that have happened or people who have lived there. And I can't quite remember if there's a sense that the house was always bad, like from the when it was built. But a good haunted house story is always about human evil that has mm. somehow imbued a habitat and is than a remnant that will attack anybody else who moves in. There's hardly ever that I can think of a haunted house that was built evil from the very beginning, you know, and then you walk in and, ooh, it's evil. No, it's always that there is a vengeful spirit or something terrible has soaked itself into the walls of this place and wants revenge.
0: I really love that. And I haven't read a ton of these, but I've read a fair few of the sort of the gothic style and I don't even know if those are quite haunted in the same way. I'm thinking of Jane Eyre and the uh, wife, the mad wife in the attic. And it's almost a haunting by a person who's still alive. Mm. Yeah.
2: But that person and that person's personality comes through in the house. Mm-hmm. Like a good gothic, there'll be something secret tucked away somewhere. And the fact that it has been secreted yes. imbues the entire house with that sense of there is something going on you know, I'm hearing oh. weird noises, the wind is wailing, you know, everyone just behaves a little bit oddly because they're keeping a secret. Yes. And so you get that drenched gothic atmosphere because there is a secret canker somewhere that yeah. is affecting the whole house.
0: But Alex, you had this bullet point and I really want to hear more about that.
1: Oh, yes. So um I had this theory, and it sort of ties in with what Freya was already saying, that haunted houses are generally ones that have bonds with former owners who haven't left because they're dead. Um, (laughs) Usually, usually dead. Um, And the person's consciousness has now kind of melded with the house itself, sort of soaked into it, like Freya said. And now there's someone else trespassing, coming in and Mm. trying to form a bond with this house, own it and exert their will on it. Um, And the... Ghosty consciousness is rebelling against them and rejecting them, violently usually.
2: That's yeah, super that's cool. That it implies a completely different motive from something like the, the haunting in House Proud. Like it's about what does the house actually want? Right. So in yeah. that case, a haunted house might want to be just left alone, or right. it might actually want to attract prey i guess so that they can drive somebody else mad or yeah you know somehow get some get someone else's blood well that's the question uh, but, is, but it, in- is the
0: house deriving energy from victims because i think that's a theme that you see in 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 haunted houses and in horror in general
2: is um consumption
0: and consuming things is a mm. big part of
2: horror yeah yeah so i think you could then you could almost have a haunted house tax on as to what the house actually wants because in house proud it doesn't want to be a haunted house no it wants to go back to being the way it was
0: it wants a master who loves it and treats it right right i mean yeah. who does it who amongst, <laughs> <laughs> amongst us <laughs> i was just waiting
2: for the first mood to come up
0: <laughs> mood. mood, But I, the other one that this reminded me of um was the Haunted Mansion in Fairyland in Jeanette Ng's Under the Pendulum Sun. I don't know if either of you two have read that book. I have. It has been on my TBR pile
1: for ages
0: and ages and I keep having to do podcast homework. Uh, 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 <laughs> it is the most gothic. It's so gothic. It's have... super cool. Yes. And it has all those things you were talking about, about the secret, about like the the, the thing you, that you can kind of tell from the way that everyone behaves. That There's these little, ki- there's these little holes in what they're willing to say.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's got that at the outright darkness of fairy and the sense that yes. you don't quite belong because it's about human missionaries to the fairyland and so they're they're very great. overtly the outsiders who have to be very careful about following the rules and you get the sense the house is not quite happy that they're there no and it's a super a bad, bad sense, idea
0: for everyone
2: yeah as a sense fairyland is not quite happy that they're there no. <laughs>
0: See, that one I would feel would be a better a better um, vehicle for something like Heros Gamos if you were representing with the marriage between person and house as the metaphor of marriage between person and all of fairyland. Mm. Mm. Interesting. But I think that this has more of that thing that I really love, which is the personal character development or skill development of your main character tied in with their relationship to the house so like the main character of under the pendulum sun comes into herself through discovering the house Mm. and harry comes into his own fey blood through developing his relationship with the house charmaine develops her magic by getting to know the house and the one example that i adore and have to bring up is the way that Freya's main character from Foresight, the book that you just finished editing, right? Yeah. Um, the way that his relationship with Sutton Cottage, which is a magical, magical house, house that he inherits <laughs> under strained circumstances, um, how that really gives him a chance to develop the power that other people don't think he has. Yeah. Do you yes. want to talk a little bit about how you develop that kind of relationship between Edwin and the house?
2: Yes, and this was actually a little bit of an accident, because when I was writing <laughs> this book, I knew that houses were going to be very important, but the one that I was particularly interested in playing with was the house that the Manor House Party takes mm-hmm. place in, um, which is actually, in the end, a lot less magical than it is Sutton. I mean, because... it's full of jerks, in fairness. Jerks. Like... Yes. And I think <laughs> I mentioned this very briefly ages ago in an episode, in that it's yes it's full of jerks but it's also to do with uh <laughs> class anxiety right. and class systems in England especially at the time which is again Edwardian uh in that Edwin's family are sort of the emerging middle class like they have mm. quite a lot of money from um, development of the American railroads but they are not land owners in the right. old English sense mm-hmm. um and so magicians there's a similar kind of sense that there are you know you can be people at any status of society Uh, But if you are an old magician or an old wizarding family in the Harry Potter sense, then you may have held onto your house for longer or your estate for longer, and magic will have just seeped into it. Yes. That it was never actually a magical house that's more to do with the land. But if you've built a house on the land and it has been inhabited by magicians for long enough, it starts to get a bit magical itself just through essentially osmosis.
0: Which Great. is why the stuff in Sutton Cottage, which has been owned and loved by this old woman and developed and the gardens developed for so long, has almost gained a sentience and like a ability to make decisions that Edwin kinda leans on.
2: Yes, and he hasn't quite realise that it's there because he is not used to owning a very magical house. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was Or being owned by. That, or yes, it's more that he is being owned by it. And I didn't realize this was going to happen until I, I was halfway through the book and realized, oh, because of the way I've set up like blood pledge <laughs> in this book, <laughs> I have accidentally made him inherit this estate. Let's just roll with that and see what happens. And it became incredibly thematically important to his character development. I it's love it. I love it's it. Good shit.
0: But yeah, it's this this idea of both like the place is the key to the person, and the person is the key to the place.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I think uh, the really satisfying stories about houses like that are magic or that are you know very technologically advanced or that are haunted are about that perfect fit between mm-hmm. the protagonist and the house that they may not be perfect for one another at the beginning um but the satisfaction of the relationship development is seeing the ways in which they are perfect in which they do allow one another to change yeah.
0: and to like
1: unfurl and uh, become more yeah. yeah more together than we are apart
0: And I think for me, one of the things I really love about the scale of a magical house or a magical ship, right, if we're talking science fiction as well, Mm -hmm. is that I do feel like you can have a relationship between one character or like a small group of characters and the house or ship. Whereas in our last like thematically place based episode, we were talking about cities as character, right? And you know, Ankh Morpork can never love you the way that Ramkin Manor can love you. Yes.
2: No, I agree. I think I think the intimacy is what makes it a good story. I was going to say I think I think that's a particularly an example that I wouldn't quite agree with because of the kind of character that Sam Vimes is. Like, sure, Ramkin Manor probably does, loves Sybil oh a, yeah a whole lot. Oh yeah. But yeah, yeah, Sam yeah. is a Sam is a city-sized person. That's true.
0: Do I agree with that?
2: And it's just to do with it being a different type of character that he himself wouldn't have that intimate relationship. And if he does, it's probably with the old watch house.
0: Well, yeah. Well, right, right. The the watch house would be his. I was actually more thinking of someone like Vetinari, but he doesn't have a mansion that we can talk to in the same way as Ramkin Manor. Um, But I think that my point is more that um, a person can love a city, but the city will not love them and change for them in the way that a house Mm. will love them and change for them. The city doesn't care about the individual. A house can care about an individual. I am willing to, to agree with that. Yes. Mm. Like, I think you can shape a city by choice, but the city will not notice you and choose to shape itself for you.
1: What about sizes of house? Because we have a dot point here that someone put, is a palace a house? Because I think, no, I don't think a palace can, I think a palace is more closely tied to a city, because I don't think that a palace would love an individual the way a house would.
0: I think you might well be right, but let's discuss it in the context of Goblin Emperor okay if we must i mean
2: (laughs) if you insist well in that case i feel like the what you're talking about as the palace is actually a group of people that's fair it's less it's less to do with the bricks and mortar of the place that he's living in and it's more to do with the people that make up the the palace Mm. are are, are what starts to love um love the emperor back
0: but i think that the book uses the setting somewhat to signal this I think you're probably right, though, that it is
2: a lot more about mm. the people. Yeah, but in, t- in terms of the setting being used that way, I mean, in Spinning Silver, mm. the reaction that the like the ice palace has yes. to Miriam is is quite similar. And again, it's about she manages to start exerting influence on her environment through the people in the palace.
0: That's a good point. I think that that might be... You're maybe getting at the finger of why I feel that there's something intrinsically different about houses something that's too small to be heroes gamos in my mind and my conception of it mm-hmm. because there isn't the interaction with other sentient humans that you're winning over like you're saying like a palace it's all about the people, a kingdom it's all about the people
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and that that doesn't exist, there isn't that uh, layer between you and the house that's does true. that make it's sense? Just you.
2: it's just you and the place that you're living
0: Yeah. yeah, mm-hmm. and so Hogwarts
1: Hogwarts is a undoubtedly a magical house Mm -hmm. because it is a house shaped and it is intensely magical and I think that Hogwarts does care about the students but it cares about the students as a group and it would absolutely sacrifice an individual to save the group if it had to Um, but I don't think that it has that sentience I don't think it has that kind of willpower and, and freedom of choice I think it's more a series of stacked spells like the house of many ways. I agree. I
2: think we get a sense of it as almost like a magical house because of the particular importance that it holds for Harry, who has not That's had a fair. home. It becomes home for him. And because it is very magical and quirky in its own ways, and it's got all its moving statues and its talking <laughs> paintings, and like it has a sense of deeply magical personality as a place, and the Marauder's Map kind of really hammers that home, um, because you know Harry, this is the only place he's ever loved and thought of as home, and now he's being given a key to it.
1: Mm.
2: Um but I agree that Hogwarts itself does not love Harry back in no any more than it loves all of its students as a caretaker.
1: There is exactly one point where Hogwarts shows any kind of sentience where Harry asks Hogwarts for anything, and mm. that's with the room of requirement because like he there's that part where he's like walking back and forth and being. And thinking like I just need a place to hide, or I just need to find that one thing, and Hogwarts gives him the thing that he needs.
2: But it gives it impartially because it also gives Draco a place to work on the on the vanishing cabinet that he's going to use to let in invaders. Essentially, yeah, right?
0: Right. I feel like that's very much presented as like a deliberate spell that's set up to give you a room that's not yeah. like. It isn't there because Hogwarts decided that there should be a room of requirement, that someone has made a room of requirement. Right. I was right. actually thinking about um, Harry asking for help while fighting the basilisk. Oh, that's the hat, though. No, that's before he gets the hat. He shouts for help in general, and Fawkes comes bearing the hat. Mm, so there's a few times like that, Um. but I don't... It's I think very subtle. Right. think you're Well, that,
2: that's subtle, but it also... For me, that actually suggests that if there is a one-on-one, it's between Dumbledore and Hogwarts. Yes, because, because he's the by headmaster. asking, yeah, the, the the headmaster or whoever that is, probably I think would have this kind of intimate yes. magical relationship. Because by asking Hogwarts for help, he was asking Dumbledore for help, and that's why forks came.
0: Oh yes, because oh yes, yeah. it's The Hogwarts is not Hogwarts is not a school. Let me correct myself. Hogwarts was built. <laughs> As the castle, fortress it's not. There's home. no fucking
2: maths on that Hello. particular curriculum at all.
0: <laughs> That's also fair. But what I'm trying to say was, cast- Hogwarts was built as a castle slash fortress for Godric Gryffindor, Salazar Slytherin, Helga Hufflepuff, and Rowena Raven- Ravenclaw, and it is their magical house. Yes. I am unconvinced that they built it, intending it to be a school from the get go. I think they probably built it and then were like, and we should train some mercenaries and shit. Whoops, we need someone to man this thing. It's
2: bloody huge. <laughs> and so if it is actually haunted by anything, it's four personalities yes. that have become melded. And that's why it's so completely weird.
0: Yeah. Oh, it totally is haunted by them, isn't it? Like all the way through the whole sets of the books, we get them. Man, it would have been good if
1: she leaned harder into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and
2: that's why it can never actually have a particular sentience or conscience or play favorites in one direction, mm. because it's actually four different sentiences that have sort of been smooshed into one space. With
0: And then the, Hogwart, the, the, the Hogwarts headmaster is almost more of a pope than anything. He's an intercedent. Yes. Yes. Man, that's some good <laughs> shit. That's some yeah. real good shit. Should we just
2: end the episode right there on your yeah. real piece of good shit? <laughs> Dumbledore, the pope. Thank you. Good night. <laughs>
0: for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. I think the thing I love the most about magical houses is the way they can be the genesis of a character, or at least of a character's power. And we see that twice over in our tent poles today, with Charmaine's discovery of her magic and Harry's unfurling fey ancestry. And someday Dear listeners, I hope you will be able to join us in experiencing the subtler flowering of power experienced by the main character of Freya's novel Foresight, hand in hand with his own unexpected magical home. But alas, not yet. For now, we have some even more exciting topics to talk about in upcoming episodes. On the next episode, two weeks hence on June 19th, We'll be discussing assassins, those oh-so-deadly, yet oh-so-alluring masters of knife and garrote. If you want to prepare in advance, one of the tentpoles for that episode is The Perfect Assassin by K.A. Dorr. So if you have a friend who's into stuff like that, maybe give them a heads up. In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions, comments, breathless adulations... Contact us at serpentcast at gmail dot com, at SerpentCast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join in the conversation in our fan Discord chat. As a reminder, we are currently collecting questions for our episode 40 extravaganza, so please do drop those anywhere that communication will see them find us, particularly in the Discord, no matter what Alex says. Anyway. While we're here, I think your home is pretty neat. After all, it's got you in it.